0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Books and History, a channel of the New Books Network. My name is Jeanette Cockroft, and I'm the host of this channel. Today, I will be talking with Carolyn J. Smith, author of Season to Taste, Rewriting Kitchen Space and Contemporary Women's Food Memoirs. Please welcome Carolyn J. Smith to the program. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to discussing this because this is a really intriguing book on a really intriguing topic. So why don't we start with what's the thesis of this book?
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate um, those compliments. Um, That's a good way to get it started off, I think. (laughs) Um, so basically I I um have worked on women's literature for much of my scholarly career. And when I was working on my first book project, which was about chiclet, um, there was a chapter in there about domestic advice publications. Um, and I got really interested in Martha Stewart and books about food writing and cookbooks, and started doing a lot of cooking, um, which I hadn't done before. Um, and then I was noticing kind of this surge in in food writing in the first two decades, um, you know, between 2000 and 2010. Um, and I started to think about uh, the way in which the second wave feminist movement kind of positioned the kitchen as this space um, to escape from. And a lot of these contemporary writers were returning to the space of the kitchen cooking there, writing about that, you know, obviously food blogging was really big at this time. And so I had questions about, you know, why was this shift happening in U.S. American culture? Um, and in what ways were these women writers um, maybe discussing the act of preparing and consuming food in ways different from women writers of the past? And so that's kind of um, how the book came about. Um just kind of this interest in domestic advice publications that served as a launching point for this
0: bigger project. Why do you think the 21st century is a moment of interest in food memoirs, particularly women's food memoirs?
1: That's an excellent question. I think it was just a moment where a lot of things were happening connected to food all at the same time. Um, I talk in my introduction about how, you know, we have this reality television programming about uh, Top Chef, and that really kind of took off. Um, And then we had Michelle Obama in the White House with her Let's Move campaign and her uh, kitchen garden. And so all of a sudden, we were being much more kind of aware of and mindful of and interested in the food that we were preparing and and eating. So I think it was kind of a a combination of factors. Um, You know, the easy, easy accessibility of the internet and being able to blog about your experiences with food and share recipes in this new way. So it was kind of like this convergence of, um, you know, different things happening in American culture that I think led to
0: this, this surge of food writing. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about the intersection of food culture and gender. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So This is so interesting to me um, and I see it, you know, more and more in popular culture. I was thinking about um, the bear. If you've, if you've watched the bear on television, it's about a a chef, a male chef, right? Yes. Super super interesting uh, television programming and coming back at some point in time now that the writer's strike has, has ended. But this idea of being a chef um, as male coded versus being a cook as female coded and thinking about, um, you know, I spent some time in the field of museum studies and I was at the University of Delaware, where there's all these beautiful historic homes that you can tour and learn about and kind of where is the kitchen in that space, right? Um, And this private sphere of the home and then this public sphere that's more masculine coded, male coded. Um, So I think that there's all these ways in which, uh, you know, gender comes into play in the way we think about and prepare food. But I think a lot of what is talked about with women in food kind of skews towards the more negative um, scholarship about, you know, maybe eating disorders, right? And so I really wanted to examine, you know, the joy of cooking and look at the way in which these writers were really kind of embracing their roles as cooks slash chefs. Um, Yeah, so that was something... I I kind of noticed in
0: the women writers I was looking at. How would you compare the kitchen expectations of the 21st century with the expectations of the 20th century? Mm. Sort of the second wave of feminism and the third wave of feminism.
1: Thanks for clarifying because numbers are not my strong point. So <laughs> I'm doing it in my head 20th, 21st. Right. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm an English professor and not, not a math professor. Um yeah, so I, I found a lot of the rhetoric with the second wave feminist movement was really about getting into the public sphere because women had been denied that opportunity. Um, and so there were, was this time in U.S. American culture where many white middle class heterosexual women were confined to the space of the home. And so I think a lot of the second wave feminist movement, which centered around the concerns primarily uh, of white women, and there's a lot of scholarship about you know women of color being disregarded and their ideas and interests, um, and, and so there was this real move to get out into the public. And so I looked at Betty Friedan and the way in which her rhetoric really talked about leaving that private space space and getting out into the public. Um, and then when we get to third wave, um, you know, there's a section in my book where I talk about publications like feminist third wave pu- feminist publications like um, bust and Bitch, um, that that were really kind of recoding the, the space of the kitchen in a way that it was, you know, not a place of imprisonment, but a place to be creative and return to and enjoy. Um, And, and I found a lot of that, that rhetoric being repeated in um, the blogs that I looked at and in in the memoirs that I was examining. So I think I use the term winking while we bake, which is from um, the blogger gluten free girl. Um, And, and she acknowledges in a post on her on her blog about the way in which the se- second wave feminist movement pa- paved the way for women to kind to return to the space of the kitchen and kind of enjoy um the work that they were doing there um while also kind of acknowledging you know what had happened before them um and giving credit to that that second wave generation
0: this might be a good point to talk about um Ruth Rachel
1: yes Ruth Rachel so she um, is such an interesting figure, so prominent and important in the food world. Um, you know, uh, she's written fiction, she's written cookbooks, she's written memoirs, um, and her work really spans second wave and third wave. And so I used her, um, in the way that I, I, I tell my students, sometimes it's a good strategy to kind of bookend a project. So, um, you know, start with something and end with something. And that, that's what I did in my own book because, um, You know, Reichel in her book, Comfort Me With Apples, is really positioning herself as a professional in the food world. She's talking about the writing that she's doing as a food critic. She's referencing a lot of these famous chefs that she's coming into contact with. And so there's a real resistance in that book um, to the idea of home cooking. It's much more um, aligned with the professional world. And then more recently, um, she's kind of shifted her her thinking um, about food and home cooking, um, especially with the pandemic, um, where she was finding herself in her home cooking for herself. And so um, it's really interesting the way in which her uh, rhetoric changes um, and embraces this idea of home cook and kind of breaks down some of these binaries uh, that we saw between public and private and chef and cook. Um, and I think I, I, referenced her Twitter, um, like whatever comes underneath the Twitter that defines who you are. Um, and she calls herself a writer, an eater, a cook. So it's not one identity over the other, but it's kind of embracing this kind of multiple, uh, identities as the, the, a lot of the writers are doing
0: as well. You spend some time talking about kitchens and kitchen space, right, as sites of resistance and transformation. Um, I never thought about that. So I think you should talk about that a little bit. Sure, I'd be happy
1: to. Um, in part, this, that. Those moments of the book really rose out of the work that I had done at the University of Delaware when I was a teaching assistant teaching for um, what was then called the Women's Studies Program. Uh, And each semester that I taught the Intro to Women's Studies class, we read Alice Walker's In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. And... Just really kind of eye-opening, I think, for my students and for myself about the way in which, you know, women's work has been undervalued. Um, Walker writes about, you know, gardens. um, And we were thinking about in that class other moments of women's production that might not be given the full credit that it deserves for its creativity. And so I guess that, that those days kind of planted the seed, if you will, for, you know, this examination of kitchen and kitchen culture. Um, and then my my chapter that looks at better homes and gardens and the space of the kitchen. I mean, in That's another life, I hope, oh, thank you. Yeah. In another life, I will be an architect because I always was very interested in homes and home design. and um, And my first book, I dealt a lot with women's magazines. And so I thought, This book was a challenge to write and it took me a very long time in part, probably because um, of the birth of my son and productivity went down a little bit. Um, But that Better Homes and Gardens chapter was really kind of the missing Piece. I had everything else and I felt like something was and so I kind of went back to my roots with uh, magazines and started looking through better homes and gardens and realizing that there were these interesting ways in which the kitchen was portrayed in older editions, and then more contemporary editions and so that kind of laid a nice foundation for some of the um, analysis that I wanted to do of the food writing and
0: public and private. Let's talk a little bit about um, blogging. You describe it as a hybrid form of food writing. So what do you mean by that? So blogging
1: to me is really interesting in that it embraces multiple genres. Um, and I, I think in some ways it's pretty elementary the way that I lay it out. Because anyone who looks at a blog knows that it's in reverse order, right? And that there are photos and that there are recipes, right? So in some ways, I felt like I was being kind of obvious in the way that I was analyzing the blogs. But I think when you put that all together, you realize the way in which they are drawing on the, the tradition of the cookbook, right? And they are drawing on the tradition of the memoir. Um, and there's all these interesting ways in which these conventions of different genres get put together on the blog. And I think to me what was most exciting about the the blogging and the analysis of the blogging was the ability for readers to interact, right? And so somebody might be posting a recipe and then in the comments somebody might say, you know, I tried this but I adjusted it to this and then the blogger would write back Um, and then in following a lot of these bloggers on their social media accounts, I began to realize that they too were connecting with one another because of the work that they were doing on their, on their blogs. And so Molly Weisenberg, um, and Shauna James Ahern, who I examine in the blogging chapter, they're my primary people, um, you know, they kind of developed a friendship because of, the work that they were doing virtually. So it enabled these really interesting wor- real-world connections. So I love the hybridity of that, of of the blogging and the way in which it kind of takes all these um, historic genres and, and mixes them up and messes around with them. And it, that to me seems very feminist to that creation of the community and the borrowing from here and there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... This is not an exclusively white middle class woman's space, is it? No, no, it is not. Let's no. talk about that. That's another part of this that's really intriguing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, and I think that's what's interesting about the more the more contemporary writing that I examine is that while you might have had a you know, a, a second wave feminist movement that was focused on white women and white women's concerns, now with, in more contemporary times, we certainly hear the voice of white women in food writing more than we hear women of of color. Um, But there were some really interesting, both memoirists and bloggers that I looked at. And one of my favorites, um, and she keeps popping up more and more um, ever since the publication of this book. Um, She's really kind of embraced activism in a way that she hadn't when I was writing the text. And and that's the blogger um, Jocelyn Delk Adams of Grand Baby Cakes. And she is so interesting to me because um, she's kind of taking that image of the happy housewife heroine, which was a, a term coined by Betty Friedan in The Feminine Mystique, right, of this woman who just happily prepares and is beautifully dressed. And I think of Betty Draper and Mad Men, who I've also done some research on. Um, and Delk Adams as a Black woman is kind of adopting that persona and uh, recoding it, if you will, in a way that acknowledges a lot of the work that uh black women have done in the kitchen and so her cookbook which came out of her blog um really uplifts the stories of many generations of her family um, and the work that they did in the kitchen um and and you know, harkens back to Alice Walker's In Search of My My Mother's Gardens. Um, And so that was that was also a really interesting story. And I think one of my favorite um, parts of the book that I wrote, um, just because she's such an interesting person. And as I said, she's really getting into a lot of food activism, which I think is super interesting um, in light of what she's already done, too.
0: Uh, activism such as what?
1: Um, I've noticed more and more that she's kind of pairing up and doing um, different projects with other Black women. Food writers um, and trying to elevate their voices. Um, I forget what I was reading recently where her name popped up, but you'll see more and more um, that that she's kind of drawing attention to inequities in the food world and in the publishing world. Um, you know, in terms of who who gets. Uh, their work out there. Right. I mean, many of the early food bloggers who got book deals were white women. And so uh, I think Delk Adams is kind of speaking to some of these inequities and trying to help people realize and be transparent about the way in which the industry can can work.
0: Um, How do Julia Malucci and Kim Sune fit into this?
1: So those are two writers who I felt like were really riding the wave of chiclet, which is what my earlier book was about, young single women looking for love in metropolitan areas, right? But they were bringing in this food element, right? So their stories are very much about the search for love and marriage, um, but they're doing it through the inclusion of recipes, using food as kind of the organizing structure for their narratives. Um, And so I felt it was important to analyze their work because they serve as kind of a bridge between what was happening um, in terms of women's literature and where we were now headed. Um, so, So that was something that I spoke about. And I think the other thing that makes um, I'm thinking about Maluchi in particular is that um, her book is very much about the enjoyment of food. So whereas in those lit texts, we have Carrie Bradshaw putting her shoes in the oven, right? Because she doesn't use her kitchen. Now we have Maluchi who is very much invested in the preparation of food um, for the, the men that she's dating, but ultimately realizing that uh she has to be happy in her own space in order to engage in any kind of of relationship and same with sunay um her her book is very interesting it's very long and involved and she takes us through this relationship that she has um and talks a lot about in this relationship how she was positioned as kind of this housewife to perform for her her um her partner, um, and it's very much about her awakening. And there's a period of the book where she stops eating, right. And then how she finds her way back to food and cooking for herself. So not just preparing for all of her partner's dinner parties, um, but really kind of rejecting that relationship and rejecting that previous relationship she had with the preparation and consumption of food and learning kind of how to love food on her own terms and prepare it for herself.
0: Now, some of the people listening to this interview might recognize the name Julia Powell. Mm -hmm. Yes. So why don't we start by you telling us why it is they might feel like they know that name.
1: So Julie Powell, who sadly passed away recently, I think last year um, at a very young age, Um, this, yeah, it was very tragic. And she is, that is my favorite chapter in the book, I will say. Um, I know chapters are supposed to be like children and you don't really have a favorite, but um, I do love this chapter. You know, Julie Powell is known for... Um, if you recognize her name, you probably know her because of her blog, which chronicled her time cooking her way through Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And then she got a book deal where she kind of n- made her blog into a narrative. Um, and then we had the movie adaptation starring Amy Adams and Meryl Streep um, that followed Julia Child's Um life, and then followed Julie Powell's and kind of interwove the narratives. And the second book, which is the book I focus on, I mentioned um, her book and all of the media since, it, you know, the media attention to the book and the movie and how that really sparked a lot of interest in cooking and food um, in the introduction. But then the chapter I devote to her is about her second book, Cleaving, which people really, really hated <laughs> um, and in
0: that's yes, interesting. Right. Why
1: why did they hate that? Well, the reader reviews and the reviews in the popular press, I think they were a little disillusioned with Julie's character in the in the first book, uh, it's partially a love story. Um and I think people were really invested in that love story and Cleaving is about the dissolution of her marriage um and her, you know, she has an affair. She chronicles her affair in very vivid terms. Um, But what she does in that book with meat eating and butchery and the way she she becomes an apprentice for a butcher um, as a way to get some distance from her husband and to learn a skill that she had always wanted to do. And I feel like that book does some really sophisticated things with the male coded industry of butchery. Um, And her entering into that space. And then also there's been some really interesting feminist scholarship about women being equated to animals. So the way in which she's kind of talking about herself and her relationships and her body and the butchery, um, I think it, it is super interesting in terms of all that scholarship that's been done about women and
0: animals, so let's, let's explore that a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah. In that chapter, I, I draw a lot on Carol J. Adams' uh, book, *The Sexual Politics of Meat*, um, and Adams kind of shows the way in which um, advertising will tend to put women in these kind of animal-like positions and i talk about how even today we see this equation of you know animals and women and advertising and popular culture and i think i referenced um oh i'm not going to remember the name of it but it was an excellent series on hbo um by the author jillian flynn they adapted her her novel and there's moments where we see animals and women just kind of completely being, you know, transferable for one another. Um, and so the violence against animals, violence against women, um, a lot of that was coming up in Powell's narrative. Um, and she will often refer to pieces of meat in a way where she's equating them with her own body, Um and she, there's these brilliant little uh, illustrations at the beginning of each chapter that kind of show dissections of meat. Um, and then there's one of a human where it's labeled, like you would see, you know, a, a cow labeled or a pig labeled. So um, just really, I feel like a sophisticated kind of meditation on issues of power and food, um, vegetarianism. Yes. Eating, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that book. So even though the the critics didn't like it, I I think, I think it does a great job.
0: Um, before we finish up, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um,
1: I am currently a professor in the writing program at the George Washington University, where I teach all first-year students all the time in the freshman composition class. Um, (laughs) I find it so fun and lovely because they come in and they're full of so much enthusiasm. And my students have really been, you know, I thank them in my uh, acknowledgments because I had taught a class on food writing and I felt like we were all learning together about these interesting gender presentations and so a lot of my classes deal with issues of of feminism of women and popular culture I taught a class on romantic comedies um, right now I'm teaching a class called communicating feminism I'm in, in the midst of grading all the papers and there's some really brilliant ones so it's exciting um, and I live in Washington DC with my husband who is also a professor but he's biologically minded, I am humanities minded, and our son, and then our two dogs who, as I explained to you, are at the groomer so that they didn't disrupt this interview.
0: (laughs) Where did you go to school?
1: So I went to a very small undergraduate school called Moravian College. It's now Moravian University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is where I was born and raised. And then I ventured down the pike a little bit to University of Delaware for my graduate work, um, where I had the opportunity to work with people in the Women's Studies program, in the Museum Studies program, and then my primary discipline was uh, English. So, Okay. Now,
0: before I let you go, tell us what you're working on now.
1: Oh, I was kind of dreading this question because the book came out in June. I was taking a little break, but um, oh, that's I fair actually, enough. <laughs> but I am actually working with a dear friend of mine who's at the Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, we are co-editing um, a collection about the contemporary heroine So there's a lot of reboots right now, if you think about Wednesday Addams or the Archie comics with Riverdale. So we put out a call for papers uh, on the rebooted heroine, um, got some excellent essays. And so we are putting those together and hoping to find a publisher and get that work out into the world.
0: That's been really fun to work with Kate Newell on that. It sounds wonderful. I look forward to it. Well, um, I'm going to let you go. I think we've taken up enough of your time. Thank you so very much for a really great discussion. about Thank it. You. I absolutely enjoyed this book. So really appreciate your time.
1: Good. I'm glad. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk about the things that I
0: love. So absolutely. Thank you.